0: Welcome to E-commerce Deep Dive, a podcast featuring the biggest players in retail and e-commerce. Your host is John Giorso, founder and CEO of Orca Pacific, a mighty hive company. For today's episode, John is joined by Raj Dadata, serial entrepreneur and co-founder and CEO of Bloomreach. Raj and John talk about Raj's new book, The Digital Seeker, a guide for digital teams to build winning experiences. They also discuss how recent innovation in technology has transformed digital experiences. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Raj, welcome to the show. John, great to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot to get into. Uh, would love to start with just a little bit about you, uh, the company you co-founded, uh, and uh, and the book.
1: Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm CEO and co-founder of Bloomreach, which is the third startup, I've been involved in in getting up off the ground. And so I've been a multiple time entrepreneur out here in in Silicon Valley. And, and this latest venture is all about e-commerce. And so I'm excited to talk about that. Um, The company's called Bloomreach. It's, um, it's, it's the leader in what we call e-commerce experiences, which you can think of as everything you, the involving e-commerce until you hit add to cart. So uh, all the, all the search experiences, the browse experiences, the personalization interaction with content, Marketing, et cetera, everything it takes you to get you to an e-commerce website, find the right product, and end up buying. And today, we power about seven hundred and fifty of the largest uh, brands around. You know, big brands like like the Gap and and Williams Sonoma and and uh, several of the uh, properties that are owned by the Walmart groups, and also upstart brands that are coming online, like like BrewDog and and uh, Olakai and and so on and so forth. And so. Um, you know, most of these brands they work with us because they're trying to drive growth in e-commerce. And so, you know, people would come to me and they would say, "Hey, hey, Raj, you know, you guys are powering almost a quarter of e-commerce in the U.S. and the U.K. What are you seeing from the winners? And what are you seeing from the losers? What causes the winners to win big in digital? And what causes the losers to lose?" And so, between my venture investing and, and my, uh, my experience with Bloomreach. I thought I'd write a book to answer that question, and so the Digital Seeker, which is what the, what this book is, uh, is um, is uh, my answer to that question, and uh, it's available now on on both on Amazon. If you if you go search for the Digital Seeker, or if you go to bloomreach. dot com slash digital seeker, you'll find a number of places to to buy the book.
0: Perfect. Um, I, I think that's that's great. Kind of starting context here. So uh, so that's a big question. Uh, to to try to answer in a book, I guess what is the what is the headline? What's the the kind of overriding thesis? And then I want to dive into some of the you know specifics from there. But but I mean, can can it be answered in a few sentences?
1: Actually, I think it can. And uh, okay. and and you know, the core thesis of the book, uh, and it's sort of from a hundred plus interviews and in, in my experience is that you know, winning digital experiences are built for the seeker, not the customer. That sounds a little counterintuitive because the question, of course, is, well, what exactly is a seeker? You know, sure. in, in in that. But, you know, for twenty years we've been hearing about customer-centric marketing and building for the customers and understanding customers. And you know, let's to make this really real. Let's use sort of just real-life examples to explain the difference between a seeker and a customer. Um, suppose we were out, you know, organizing a family vacation, uh, and so you know, at some point I'm going to mm-hmm. do some. Research about the destinations and the tours, and whether or not uh, you know there's kids' activities involved. Uh, I'm going to look into a hotel. I'm going to look into car rental. I might look into flights. I might read reviews. So I'm actually a a potential customer of all those services. I'm a potential customer of a car rental company. I'm of a of a hotel, of a tour company, etc. So I'm a potential customer of maybe ten different products and services on the web. The things I'm going to take on the trip, at least but i'm actually only a seeker of of one thing which is i'm seeker i'm a seeker of a memorable relaxing family vacation yeah. so the seeker is the why behind the customer it's okay. the reason you're a customer in the first place and what's so interesting is when you just focus on the transactional activity of serving your customers and miss out on the why then it then you're just in a commodity market competing with everybody else out mm-hmm. on on the web but if you ask the why question you have the opportunity to build these really distinct experiences that stand apart. And those distinct experiences attract a loyal following, which then mean your your, your online presence stands out, you acquire more customers and you grow a lot faster. And we can so, pick industry after industry. We can go through fashion and travel and exercise equipment and uh, sports, and, and we can find who serves the seeker and who serves the customer.
0: So, so do you have a specific example of that in, um in consumer products so yeah. you know kind of a commodity versus someone that's kind of broken broken out of that commodity. well let's uh,
1: let's take let's take a couple of examples uh, just to, to use some diversity here so if you take if you take fashion and you say well fashion has been sold through department stores for a long time and there's been the neiman marcuses there's been the nordstrom's there's been a, a long legacy of of high-end luxury fashion retailers and then someone like stitch fix comes along and they disrupt the market and and how do they diff- disrupt the market well, they didn't come up with more fashionable clothing than you can get at Neiman or Nordstrom or Saks or any of these other places, right? Sure. What they did is they said, well, look, they may be a customer of, of luxury apparel, of a scarf or of a dress or of a of a pair of shoes. But really what they're seeking is to find clothing that matches their style and their identity and their expression. And so Stitch Fix said, we're not going to just sell you the clothing. We're going to sell you the stylist. And by selling you the stylist and you inputting your personalization into it, your personal style into it, we're going to know you better. And the clothing's going to come out of that. And that's because the customer might be a customer of the, of the apparel, but the seeker is seeking a unique expression of their style. And so mm. that's the contrast that, that comes out in these seeker-centric experiences. You know, I'll, I'll use um, a, completely, uh, a completely different example, which is, which is in, uh, in the healthcare space, as an example, right? Uh, so we work with, uh, with uh, one, uh, the, the healthcare provider in the UK called NHS Digital, and they, they, are, they are the healthcare provider in the UK. They, they, they run the doctor's offices in the hospitals yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's only one, right? There's only one, right? Yeah, And, uh, yeah. and so NHS Digital, what they, what they ended up you know, finding is that lots of people would come to emergency rooms with conditions that don't require, require emergency rooms, fundamentally. And so they they said, well, all right, you know, we could just put a bunch of literature. You can go to Google and you can type any symptom and find knowledge. But is the patient really looking for knowledge? If you've got a sick kid in the middle of the night who's coughing up a storm or, you know, do you give them an Advil or, or Tylenol to sleep, sleep it away? Or do you rush them to the emergency room? How do you know the answer to that question? And so the seeker is seeking reassurance. And so they built this thing called a symptom checker, which is like a minimum, like a, like a triaging system. That you can put online that helps somebody not solve the ailment, but figure out what to do next, given the symptoms that are sort of there. And it's so much better than putting in random queries into Google with your symptoms and hoping for the best.
0: Yeah. Where you're either going to be fine or you're going to die tomorrow. And it's 50 50 shots. Exactly. We've all done that.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So that's then going to the underlying motivation that the that the parent or the patient is looking for reassurance. Yeah. really more than they are looking for the medical answer of all the possibilities.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um so there's so many places we could go here but but you know because we're sort of as a world I think we're in in part kind of getting close to the end of covid hopefully here knock on wood. Um but 2020 was very much in the thick of it and I think we all know it changed consumer behavior in a significant way. Um yeah, how, how does COVID kind of impact this, this overriding thesis that you have?
1: Yeah, well, it makes everything about digital, you know, 10 times more important, first and foremost, right? What we saw in our data is that e-commerce grew, you know, leaped almost 100% year over year. Last year, it was about a five to six year acceleration in e-commerce, whether you look at spending or revenue or for us, API calls into our platform, every metric skyrocketed yeah. right yeah. so every project became mission critical in that process and this need to stand out became uh that much more important you know in, in digital and so people you could no longer say hey it's okay if digital this digital is this project on the side that, that might work out it became the core of the business itself and if it becomes the core of the business then you really have to win because if you lose in digital you lose in general yeah, you know, as a whole. And so I get a lot more questions about, about that. And so post-pandemic, you know, the way I would put it is to use a, a COVID term, it accelerates the r naught, or, you know, the r naught is the rate at which the infection has sort of spread. And like that, you know, digital advocacy has gone, you know, leaps and bounds. We've seen that in categories like grocery, where it's it's gone through the roof. We've seen that in categories like autos that were never bought online that have gone through the roof. And then we've seen just the same people who were in digital spend a lot more money of their wallet share, you know, on digital as a whole, as a result of the pandemic. And we're seeing those trends continue post-pandemic as well.
0: Yeah. OK, so that's really interesting. I, you know, because you have access to so much data, I think this is a, everyone has an opinion on this, but you'll probably have a, a, an actual uh, more kind of informed one. Um, there's this there's general sort of concept that the COVID basically just accelerated the inevitable. And like, I think that's mostly true. Uh, and I think we most people in this industry have kind of, I, I would say that's the consensus at this point. Is there anything that you think COVID kind of fundamentally like changed beyond where we would have been anyway in five years? I mean, you know, because and we saw some kind of specific things that 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 were, you know, weird Everyone bought bread makers in April of last year. For Like there's weird, very specific kind of things that will never yeah. happen again. But yeah. is there any kind of like long-term impact, you think, to consumer behavior that, that, that COVID kind of unleashed?
1: Yeah, and, you know, we say accelerated the inevitable, but, you know, the inevitable doesn't always take a straight line. And so, you know, we've seen people have been predicting, e- I mean, e-commerce is a 20-year-old industry yeah. at this point plus, yeah. right? And so people have been talking about entire categories going to e-commerce for a long time. And certain sure. categories, you know, never did. Certain demographics, older demographics, as an example, didn't adopt it quite as much. Certain yeah. categories that were uh, more considered purchases, like autos or things of that type, have had very low penetration. Grocery, sort of same thing. So, you know, yes, it accelerated it, but I wouldn't say it was inevitable. It, it just it it actually just made it happen and more importantly it changed and cemented that consumer behavior so that post pandemic you ask the question does it make sense to go back you have a new baseline to operate from you're not operating from the baseline of mostly physical some digital now you're operating from a baseline of mostly digital and asking the question what should be physical so when you ask it that way it actually means means uh, a fairly substantial sort of change in, in lifestyle and you know i'll just give give you one example of of something that's that that is at the end of the book, which is really about, you know, um, what I call an economic boom and a happiness boom, a sort of twin boom that happens at the end of this period of time. The economic boom is, well, look, if everything is digital, all of a sudden there's enormous amounts of productivity gains that we can get because we're not all commuting to work every day and because we're not all stuck in airports all the time and because we're much more purposeful about our interactions. And what we can do physically and what we can do digitally, we just create a time in our life that drives economic productivity, but it also means that you know if i 'm not if for some jobs i 'm not always commuting every day and you know two hours a day in and out you know of an office and i 'm in front of my computer screen a lot of the day, it actually means interestingly that i 'm really psyched to go out in the evening and hang out at a restaurant with friends or go to a mm-hmm. local bar or do something. You know, so I actually think the neighborhood physical locations will boom because because people have got to get out from under their, you know. And, and if there's one thing the pandemic has told us, it's been awesome from a work productivity perspective, but it's totally sucked from a personal relationship yeah. and, uh, you know, kind of family, friends, relationship building perspective. So we all hunger for that. We're going to want more of it uh, and do more, yeah. more work digitally and more more uh, fun physically, I think.
0: Yeah, I I actually think that's a really interesting idea. That basically we we kind of keep the good, and because we don't have to anymore, we don't have to social distance and do those things. Kind of get rid of the bad part. But right. what you end up with is, you know, and it's funny because I I know we're go- going off on a tangent, but this is just personally really interesting to me. Um, you know, I've I've my company. We have about uh, sixty people now in in uh, the U.S. We've always had this kind of flexible work from home. Yeah, We have an office. Come into the office. Work from home. Do whatever the need requires, right? If you have a client, obviously it's in person. But um, we've kind of had that. And what you find is is you are absolutely ready to get out of your house at the end of yeah.
1: the day in, That's right. in
0: normal non-COVID times, right? That's so right. Um, yeah, the idea that it kind of bolsters com- like local communities actually long term. Yeah which I think means people move out of cities and get into more kind of you know, community-based, smaller um, cities or towns or neighborhoods. I I think that's fascinating. Um, uh, I mean, have you, it may be too early to tell, have you seen any indications in the data that that's, that that's happening in terms of well, that's a, maybe a few.
1: That's a few, we're a few iterations from, from that, but what we're yeah. seeing now in the data is more like the, the spurt or the boom, as at least in the U.S., as as certain cities and communities come out of the pandemic. And so, yeah. you know, just as we saw getting into the pandemic that everybody was buying, you know, bread and eggs and toilet paper and all of that. Yeah. Well, coming out, you know, all of a sudden makeup sales are through the roof because people are, are kind of going out. People are uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, leisure travel. People are expecting this to be among the busiest leisure travel summers, you know, yeah, we've seen sure, in a long time. And so all the... Outdoor gear that comes along with that, and all the travel amenities that come along with that. So the category, there's a different category of of things that become yeah. in demand as these booms take place.
0: Yeah. So it's so we're we're you know we obviously we're in the COVID period. We're now in sort of the reaction to the COVID period. That's right. But we still haven't reached that quote unquote long term new normal. We yet. haven't
1: reached that's right. We haven't reached the long term new normal yet. I think we're early.
0: Yeah. Know, uh, yeah, everyone was making bread at home. Now everyone's going to Hawaii, and then at some point, things are right. kind of, <laughs> <you're laughs> going exactly. to kind of normalize. And you know, some of this will be sticky, and some of it will return to baseline. Um, yeah, that's that's super interesting. Uh, you know, so so back to kind of this. Um, this core thesis of the book. So you, you have this idea of the, the three A's. Do you want to kind yeah. of dive into that and explain it? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So if we establish that, you know, you win big in digital by building for the seeker, by building for the why behind the customer, then the question is, how do you go about doing that? And, and, and you know, the, the, the next most important question is, well, if you can't build these seeker-centric experiences with just, you know, human beings manually curating everything, technology's at the root, of making that happen. And so the question that I often get is, what are the key technologies I need to pay attention to? And how do I harness them to build these unique seeker-centric experiences? And so I try to boil that down into the three A's. And so the first A is ambient devices, um, which is there's just an explosion of listening and sensors to understand what the seeker is seeking in the first place, right? Every click is a vote. Every non-click is a non-vote. Every mobile device is a sensor. You know, obviously you've got IOT out there. So increasingly we have all these ambient devices collecting information about what our consumers are interested in in the first place. And that's the first A is ambient. The second A is AI. So now I've got all the signal. I got to now make sense of it. If it's, if you're Uber, you've got to make sense of all the, the people moving around and the cars moving around. You can't possibly do that manually. AI is playing a role in distilling that to try to figure out what car to send to whom or if, or what house to recommend to whom in the case of Airbnb, or what product to recommend in the case of Amazon, you know out there? So the AI is playing a role in making sense of the data. and the third A is is APIs, which is a little bit of tech speak, but is really important because if I'm building seeker centric experiences, I'm marshaling lots of services together and giving something really simple to the end consumer. So if, it's, if I take that, that Uber driving experience, they've got to include mapping software, they've got to include payments built in, they've got to include estimations for, for how long it's gonna to take to get from point A to point B. These are all this, you know services provided by lots of different different entities that APIs reach out to, pull back and present a really distilled on-point personalized experience back to the consumer so the third a is
2: really apis hey there i'm dave zimmerman with orca pacific i hope you're enjoying the show i wanted to let you know this episode is brought to you by orca pacific a mighty hive company we're a full service agency exclusively focused on amazon with capabilities for everything a brand needs to succeed on the platform from advertising strategy content development and seo to merchandising and marketing if it relates to driving and converting demand on the platform our dedicated teams are leaders in this space our robust suite of services includes expertise on the back end as well from operational support demand forecasting and planning to the right fulfillment options and higher level strategies like long term planning channel management and access to beta programs to learn more visit our website at www.orcapac.com that's o r c a p a c.com and a business development manager will get you up to speed on how we can accelerate your Amazon business.
0: Now, back to the show. So Alexa and Google Home, and I know I just triggered a bunch of people's devices at home, so apologize. But so this idea that there's these kind of ambient devices, and I know certainly, you know, there's plenty, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of of manufacturers out there, but really there's two platforms, in my opinion, that all of this is gonna go through. How does that kind of you know walled garden in in your opinion longer term impact this this concept? Um, you know, of course, there's skills and maybe apps eventually, you know through these platforms. is it Is it a, a similar analogy to, well, you know, sure iOS is dominant, but you still have millions of apps out there, so it doesn't really matter, or it, it, do you think that kind of changes this dynamic?
1: Well, I think it's really interesting because in the first kind of 20 years of the web, uh, and e-commerce, what we've seen is, is only concentration of power, right? We've basically right. seen Google get, you know, the, the fangs. More and more and more. More, more. Yeah, more sure. and more on Facebook, Google, you know, Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera, right? Um, Apple. So those five have, have, have gotten entrenched power, but I actually think that we're at the beginning and we're at the very early stages of it, you know, of, Sort of an emergence of an ecosystem that, uh, where many more companies start to really benefit from this than just those five, five companies, Mm -hmm. you know, that are out there. And, you know, the early signals on that, you know, come from the Shopify ecosystem, right? So here's Shopify. Now, it itself is a huge platform, but Shopify, more so than any of these other companies, is, is really a place I go build an e commerce storefront. Like I'm not handing over data, they're not advertising to me. They're yeah. a software platform for me to go uh, yeah. really easily you, build a storefront. You,
0: you own it ultimately is.
1: You own it ultimately, yeah. right? And so that yeah. model is then create has then created a sort of, um, you know, I think they call it the rebels. You know, but the rebels sure. building yeah, the arm, storefronts, arming the
0: rebels, yeah, yeah,
1: arming the rebels, right? And but you know whether it's sh- the Shopify platform or whether it's the Bloomreach platform, if you're a slightly bigger business and you're worried about competing with Amazon, you don't need Amazon for AI. You don't need their data set because we have the data set for the other 75% of the web you know that's out there so the arms merchants are making it possible whether it's shopify or bloomreach and a whole cascade of others for uh, you know the cloud cloud vendors make computing power you know really accessible so now it's a little bit like the utilities have laid laid the groundwork of the train tracks and the electricity grids so lots of other people get to build on it it isn't just the private
0: railway companies that that mint money now you know, it makes sense. And I agree. I guess for me, the question is, do we see this sort of, I don't want to say democratization, but use the thing as sort of the utility you know, concept that they've done all the big heavy lift and now we can, and Shopify and others. Um, but that the access to the customer in the physical world. Yeah. Via voice computing or voice first computing, which probably ultimately is screens and other you know inputs and outputs, but um, that that kind of then creates the reverse. You know, it goes back the other direction where basically these two companies are able to sort of corner the access to the customer.
1: You know, it's 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 re- in the first generation of marketing, the way we have thought about the world is Google's got the customers, people are searching on Google, or the customers are hanging out on Facebook. We got to go reach them, and in yeah. with that mindset, absolutely, we're stuck. We're stuck needing to advertise on Facebook or advertise on Google or, or maybe advertise on the Amazon marketplace in in, in some fashion to acquire customers. But if you flip it around and you say, "All right, I'm in the business of selling uh, turbines. I'm in the business of selling sofas. I'm in the business," is there any particular reason why somebody should go to Google or Facebook or, uh, or Amazon if they? can find an experience that's amazing for buying sofas that you build because that the experience I can promise you the experience of buying sofas on Amazon or Google or Facebook isn't that great. Yep. You know, it, Agreed. right? So, yep. if you could build just to use that example of thinking out loud, if you built an ama- if you are the William Sonoma brands or Pottery Barn and you 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 know, you shopped at Pottery Barn once and I can build an incredible experience that is the best sofa buying experience on the planet, which I should be able to do better than Google can. Then that customer is going to come directly to me, ultimately. Yep. This yeah. paradigm of people going to Google or people going to Facebook is fundamentally because that's been the best choice that's out there. Is I get unlimited selection. But if if I give you something, you know, really unique, um, then people are going to and you see, we see that in the data as well. When people build these unique seeker centric experiences, loyalty increases, repeat purchases increase, more more direct traffic occurs, and then you're not paying Google for for clicks.
0: Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I, you know, I often, um, uh, as related to Amazon, talk about this concept of sort of shopping versus buying and that Amazon is really, really good and they have masterfully optimized buying. Um, you know, I think that so- something like 30% of transactions happen in less than three minutes. I mean the that's average right. retail transaction, you know, in the physical world's like an hour or something to, to that's right. start to finish. So that they figured out, but what they've never really been able to figure out is the 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 quote unquote shopping. I think that maybe is not a direct uh that's right analogy to the experience, but they're very similar.
1: They're very of. similar. I mean, I think the, the, the I would use experience in the same vein as you use shopping, yeah. which is sort of it's the you know, if you've already figured out what you're looking for, Amazon's great. Put it into the search bar, find it, add to cart, click, have it show up. Awesome from that perspective. Very transactional experience. And so there is a class of shopping that is exactly that. But there's a lot more. All that has, re- that has really happened, well, all that Amazon has really done is they've said, you know, you used to walk into a retail store, have a consultative experience, think about it, compare, do all of that, and then decide what to buy and then bring it to the cash register and then pay for it and walk out the store. So they've taken that last mile and made it really easy. But actually what they've done is they've shifted the burden of the first part of that experience, the thinking about it, the getting invested in a brand, the comparison, the research, the consultation of what's good for your needs. They've actually made that your problem as a consumer. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Right? They've shifted it from, and they've just said, you go deal with that because we can't automate all of that. So we'll just deal with the transactional last mile. And yet we think Amazon's amazing, right? Well, it is amazing, but it's only doing one eighth of the shopping experience.
0: Yeah. That's 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 interesting. Um uh yeah, I mean I think you know, I think that the reason we've seen well, in COVID, the reason we've seen a lot of the kind of folks other than Amazon, at least on a percentage basis, grow more than they have is is mostly out of necessity. But um but I do think that that there is room for really curated, catered experiences that especially around certain categories where Amazon just has a very difficult time doing that because whatever they do for running shoes also has to work for a toaster, which That's has right. to work for a video game. I mean, there is some obviously differentiation, customization, but largely the platform's the platform. Uh, well,
1: there's no, there's no, and I, you know, I can give you from a, from our Reach example and from the book, that you know, lots of examples of that. So whether it's yeah. Puma and running shoes, I mean, if you want performance shoes and you go check out the experience on Puma, you know, versus on Amazon, it's night and day, you know, in terms sure. of of what you'll get. Yeah. So you're generic, somebody who doesn't really care about what shoes. Great, but you're an athlete, you're a competitive athlete, you want performance soccer shoes. You're gonna go check out the Puma experience, and and it's gonna it's gonna give you a better result. You. You know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll take another since we're on the thread of soccer. You know, one one of the one of the com- one of the businesses we work with is, is called Bayern Munich, which is the fifth largest sports franchise in the world, and it's the soccer team that is out of Munich, uh, in Germany. Okay. That's that is the Premier League soccer team there, and it's got yeah. it's got a billion fans around the world, like much bigger than an NFL franchise. Wow! And uh, and Bayern Munich, back to the seeker centricity, sort of started by thinking of itself as a soccer team, but realized over the course of time, they're really a media company. And so you look at the experience of, you know, somebody is a fan in New York City of the team. They can't go to Allianz Stadium in Munich to attend a game, but you can go on there, have a virtual reality experience with the player, order a custom jersey, feel like you're at the game. Now, is Amazon going to build that? That's commerce too.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, that's actually a, a, a super interesting example. Um So, yeah, I, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's a world where kind of both exist and both win. Um, That's right. And, uh, you know, the um, I I, so I've always had this kind of working thesis that the majority of commerce is actually just like buying, Mm -hmm. but that there is a meaningful percentage that is experience based, certainly enough to build a business, you know, as large as probably anyone aspires to maybe other than Amazon and Walmart and a few others. But, um, and that if you can create, then the race is, is the quality of that experience, which is kind of going up straight, like, you know, up in terms of the value chain versus what Amazon is doing, which I think they would admit, which is like, you know, just easy and cheap and fast. Easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that's, that, that's right.
0: once There's one winner there or maybe two, um, you know, because you can't, that once you have that kind of race to the bottom like it's the biggest most scaled player is going to win um, but the experience game gets just fragmented into a thousand That's right. pieces
1: it I gets fragmented work. into a thousand pieces with specialists yes uh, who yeah. who then say you know eyeglasses what is that what's the, what's reinventing you know eyeglasses for the seeker and let's let's just keep going category after category but i think when you sum the commerce in that fragmented category of experiential Uh, commerce, it's going to end up being larger than the transactional commerce.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Um, You know, yeah, I think, I think when you factor in, because, you know, when I think I'm, I kind of think in the lane of products. So depending on kind of how you're defining, well, certainly commerce is beyond that. But yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Um, You know, there's, there's, there's a topic here on our list, uh, B2B digital experience. Yeah. Um, That's, you know, I think that's, Something that often gets overlooked, yeah, even though right now in the U.S., I still think B two B e-commerce, and that's kind of a fuzzy thing to define. Uh, but as it as it's defined, uh, is about twice as big as as B two B or I'm sorry, uh, retail e-commerce. That's right. But I mean, people like kind of don't understand that or or passes them by. Um, arguably, there's been a lot less innovation there as well, uh, or at least maybe obvious innovation. There's a question here. I promise. I guess. Uh, what are what, what are your thoughts overall? What's your what's your um, take on on that space? Yeah. Where so you...
1: so we work with a ton of folks in B two B commerce, and I think the rate actually. I think right now the rate of innovation in B two B commerce has really exploded. That has been a post pandemic reaction, even more so than B two C, because yeah, the B two B folks were, you know, seven percent of B two B commerce was online.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know,
1: fifteen percent of retail e commerce was online. The fifteen went to kind of, uh, you know. High 20s overnight you know, but the seven went to high 20s overnight too yeah, uh, yeah and that's what what happened with the pandemic now I think what's interesting about b2B commerce is of course there's lots of different categories, but to just make it you know very real if you're you know we work with people who are providing supplies to restaurants or you know air conditioned technicians who are ordering air-, air conditioning parts or auto parts, which are highly complicated you know, technically specified products that you got to find online. You know, previously what you would do is you would call a salesperson and the salesperson would work you through exactly what you needed for your air conditioner, for your restaurant or for your uh, industrial plant, uh, you know, that's out there. And now increasingly people, you know, want to do what they're doing at home, which is order online. But it turns out creating a great B2B experience online is a ton more complex than a B2C because you're talking about needing to match technical. You can't put the wrong auto part with the wrong car. Like you can't just yeah. randomly auto recommend auto parts. People who viewed this bought this. That doesn't work in B2B, right? It's got to fit with the, with the individual vehicle. You've got contractual relationships that you've got to honor. I might have an account and that might affect my pricing and, and, and everything else. And then this whole idea of personalization, which has been around in, in B2C. And I would say still has a way to go in B2C, but in B2B, it means something different because you're not, Often personalizing for the individual, you're personalizing for an account or for a company with a whole bunch of other considerations in that process. So I actually yeah. think the innovation that's going on in b2 b commerce right now is is on a very steep curve uh, because people are reinventing supply chains reinventing customer experiences, and I'm very bullish you know on what kind of uh, growth we're going to see in b2 b commerce.
0: that's super interesting. I you know I think fundamentally, what you're describing is something that is much harder uh, to where, you know, if traditionally a human's always been involved in commerce, the B2B side, it's much, much harder to replace that human. Because if, you know, if you need a new, I don't know, uh, you know, 10 pack of pens, you don't need a really a salesperson at Staples to tell you, uh, yeah, it's a pen, you buy it, you're done. Uh, But if you're buying, you know, uh, I don't know, 10,000 packs of pens for, you know, your, your corporate headquarters, which is spread across four States and there's compliance and tax. Right. And, you know, that's is right. it the same here and this one needs to be branded or whatever it is, obviously that's something that that is much, much harder to replicate with technology. Um, I mean, is, is, I assume AI is, is going to be an increasingly important part of that.
1: A- AI is run. a huge, is a huge part of that. And, and we use a lot of the AI and B2B commerce to do things like figure out exactly what parts we're talking about, exactly what pens we're talking about, really matching the right things to the right people, to the right accounts, making sure the relevance of that experience is, is high quality, understanding customer segments. There's a lot you know, where AI can play a role in, in, in distilling that. Um, and we've seen you know, really uh, interesting effects as well, where, where you can really move the needle. In typically in retail e-commerce, it's about more sales. In B2B commerce, it is about more sales, but it is also about more efficiency because it means that you're not hiring all these human beings who are undertaking these processes manually. You have less people calling into the call center and calling in you know, to your salespeople, and more people transacting online means that you're spending less money you know, on serving those people with real human beings.
0: So who wins uh, ultimately in B2B commerce? Do you think it's the, the sort of the historic entrenched players just you know get more innovative, use uh, you know companies like you as partners to to kind of um, you know fend off the the startups, the disruptors, Amazon uh, uh, and others that are trying to kind of you know edge their way into this space. Or do or do you think it's the the tech companies, you know Amazon and others that ultimately come in and kind of and, and really disrupt things?
1: Yeah. So you know um, if we were to take two two parts of the B two B commerce ecosystem just as in on the consumer side you've got retailers and brands and amazon's really a retailer and of course so is you know neiman marcus and so is target and so is walmart those are all retailers but then you've got brands going direct right and that's that's puma selling their shoes directly instead of selling it through sports authority so you've got an emergence of brands on the on the retail side exactly the same thing is happening in b2b so you've got b2b distributors and in fact, Amazon business is—I don't know what—a ten billion dollar plus business at this point. It's a big business, yeah. uh, and so you've got a long set of distributors, and and you know you've got people uh, in the electrical distribution area and the food distribution area, and, and you've got distributors who are a lot like retailers. They compete on selection and account control and delivering a great experience there, and they're they're really trying to go for scale, and using digital to to go go at it. And I think there will be. A consolidated smaller group of winners there with large businesses. And then yeah. you've got the manufacturers. And manufacturers are just, you know, if there's anybody who's earliest to e commerce, it's actually B2B manufacturers. So take a, a Bloomer uh client like Bosch, you know, that makes a whole bunch of industrial equipment. They are now starting to sell online, but they're selling online to businesses. And so, yeah. they, you know, they were only making their manufactured products available through distributors now they're, they're making it available you know, much more directly and building direct-to-customer relationships. So the same trend we see in retail and brands
0: is yeah. happening with distributors and manufacturers in B2B. Just, Interesting. just so you think a couple it's of years behind. Fundamentally, the same kind of market dynamics of, of...
1: I think it's the same kind of market dynamic, but I think the yeah. rate of disruption of, disru- of distributors and manufacturers will be a lot slower because it's a lot harder to disrupt electrical components than it is to disrupt yeah. apparel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I thought uh, and they're doing fine, I think, by most measures, but I thought Amazon business would actually be much larger by now than they are, yeah. you know, based on the historic just kind of curve that you see when Amazon gets into a new category. The problem, though, really is it's not just a new category. It's obviously exactly. it's a fundamentally different different business for all the reasons. And not why. only
1: that, but within B2B commerce are probably 50 categories. Yeah, like it sure. has, it has, it's every, you know, everything, things are totally different yeah. between office supplies and food distribution.
0: Yeah, sure. And they have their own complete unique set of regulation and issues and customers and yeah. That's right. Yeah, um, uh, Raj, I want to be kind of uh, respectful of, of your time here. Um, uh, before we go, uh, kind of tell us one more time where, where people can find the book and if they want to get in touch with you or or, or learn more, more about the uh, the platform, what they can do.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, well, feel free to check out bloomreach.com. That, that really takes us through the software that drives growth in e-commerce and all the offerings we have there. On bloomreach.com, if you go to bloomreach.com slash digital seeker, you'll see a number of resources related to the topic of how to, how to grow e-commerce and, and where the book can be found as a playbook you know, for digital teams. And then, of course, you can go to Amazon uh, and search for the digital seeker and the books available for order.
0: Awesome. Hey, thanks uh, so much for being on.
1: Thanks, John.